Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, we continue the story of David with a look at the comparison that Saul makes to David. Let's listen. Well, years ago, before I moved to North Carolina, my family and I took a trip to the mountains, to Montreat. Now, we were living in Tampa at that time, and I had to kind of convince my wife, Sarah, because we had two young kids, and that's a long drive, right, up to North Carolina. But I told her, I was like, it's going to be so worth it. It's going to be so worth it when we get up there, because I had been a couple of times. I had brought the youth group from Tampa up to the Montreat Youth Conferences. And each time we went, it was a bit like this picture that you're going to see on the screen. It was picture-perfect weather. I mean, you know those mountain days where you go up in the summer and there's not a cloud in the sky. It's not buggy. You can hike wherever you want, and it just feels amazing. So I had this in my mind, and I thought, we've got to go. We've got to go because it's going to be so much fun. So we did the about 10-hour drive with two young kids, and, and it rained every single day that we were in the mountains, except for two, the day we arrived and the day we left. <laughs> every other day, it looked more like this picture, which is a picture that I took while on the trip. You know, those types of days you just can't see. You're socked in by those clouds. It was a, one of those experiences where it, it rained, but it wasn't just rain. It was that cold mountain rain, and it was just a downpour, and we had lightning and thunder. It was one of those weeks that I just said, Sarah, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, this is not what I expected, uh, particularly for the last week in May. And you know what? I could have compared this week to the weeks I had prior, and I was tempted to do so. But if I did that, I would have been miserable because I would have always been thinking about what could have been and what I wanted that trip to be like. But instead, Sarah and I decided to just embrace what was. We said, all right, it's raining. Great, we will do movies every single afternoon. Uh, that's just when Moana had come out. I think we watch that every day. And then we'd say, okay, look, the lightning is gone. It's still raining, but hey, put on your boots. Let's go stomp around in the puddles. We embraced the week of rain and actually had a really good time. But that never would have happened if the entire time my attitude was simply comparing it to what I wish it would have been. Yes, my family narrowly avoided falling in to the comparison trap. What about you? When do you find yourself comparing yourself or your experiences to others or other life experiences? I mean, I think of some examples like, oh, that person is so much further along in their career than I am, even though we started at the same time. Or, wow, look at that mom. She's so much more of a confident parent than I am. Or, or look at those kids. They're so much more well-behaved than me. That's not one of mine. That's, no, I'm just giving examples here. Not think of that comparison. But you look at other people's kids. Or for our students, you might say, oh, that person got into a, so much of a better college than I did. Yes, it can be so challenging 
to embrace the reality of what is instead of wishing that it was something different. And you know what? This was a challenge for the people in the Bible as well. The people in the Bible are people just like you or I. They just lived in a different time period, and they struggled with comparison as well. We're in the, the series where we study David's life, and today we're going to study the danger of the current king, King Saul, comparing himself to David and the really disastrous results that follow. But before we dive into the story, since this is week three of our series, I want to catch everybody up on the timeline. So let's go ahead and show the timeline. So we started week one with David's secret anointing. This is when God sent the prophet Samuel, anointed David, the youngest of the eight brothers, and said David was going to be the next king of Israel, although nobody else knows that yet. And then last week, we studied how David defeated Goliath, the giant, when he was only a teenager. And today, we're going to study how David spends time in Saul's court up until he's about 25 years old. So our scripture begins right after the David and Goliath story. So right after David defeats the giant, that's where our story picks up. We're told, as Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? I really don't know, Abner declared. We'll find out who he is, the king told him. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul, with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, well, his name is Jesse, and we live in Bethlehem. So Saul, at this point, doesn't really know much about David. I mean, they had their one meeting when David convinced him to allow him to go and fight the giant, but we don't really know whether Saul expected him to succeed or not. But now that he has... Saul wants to know, who is this person? Who is this teenager who defeated the giant? What, what's his family like? Where is he from? He needs to get to know David. Now, two things happen next that dramatically affect the rest of David's life. We're told that after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them. For Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. Okay, two things are happening here. The first thing I want you to notice is that David will now live with Saul and Saul's family in the royal palace. Now, in some ways, this should be considered a great honor, shouldn't it? I mean, David is the rising star. He's the person who just defeated the giant. No more living in the fields or keeping watch over the sheep. No, he is now living in the king's palace. And so there's some graciousness from Saul here. But there's also a little bit of manipulation. Uh, did you notice how the narrator told us about this? I think he said very intentionally, Saul kept 
David with him and wouldn't let him return home. Yes, Saul wants to keep David close, and his motives are not yet clear. All we know right now is David is not returning home. But here's the second thing I want you to notice. Did you notice Jonathan's reaction to David? While Saul is is cautious of David, his son Jonathan is enthusiastic. Yes, Jonathan is Saul's oldest son, which makes him the next in line for the throne. Whenever Saul dies, Jonathan is the rightful heir to the entire kingdom. Of course, we know that God has other plans, that God wants David to be king, but no one else knows that yet. So Jonathan, though, he gets to know David, and he must sense that God is doing something in David's life. And I say that because of what happens next. It says, And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pack by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Jonathan makes a pact with David. What is this pact that he makes? Well, he he takes off his robe, he gives it over to David, he gives his bow over, he gives his armor, and in doing so, this is a way to symbolize Jonathan giving over the future kingdom to David. Yes, instead of Jonathan being next in line to be king, Jonathan is acknowledging with this solemn pact that David will be the next king. Whoa! Why would Jonathan do this? Why would he willingly give up his place as heir to the throne? I mean, consider what a powerful statement Jonathan is making right now. Most people would give anything to be king. I mean, think of the the power and prestige that come with being the most important person in a country. That is rightfully Jonathan's. The throne is his. But here's what I think is going on here. I think that Jonathan has come to the conclusion that God is working in David's life in such a way that he senses that God wants him to be the next king. And when you sense that God is at work, it's best not to get in the way of that or to try to put obstacles in that path, isn't it? So Jonathan puts aside his own ambitions and decides to embrace what he senses God doing in David. This has to be one of the most selfless acts that we see in all of Scripture. Jonathan truly is our example for today. I mean, he doesn't compare himself to David. He doesn't wonder why God isn't making him king instead of David. Jonathan simply sees God at work, and chooses to support that work. Unfortunately, his father Saul does the opposite. Yes, we're told that whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people 
and by Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Okay, so a stretch of years has happened now. David is no longer the teenager who killed Goliath. He's now a young adult, probably in his early 20s, and Saul puts him in charge of part of the army. He's a military commander now. And consider this, when an army comes home victorious, this should be a moment of universal celebration, shouldn't it? I mean, there's enough joy to go around when they come home victorious. There's Saul, who's king of the whole country. And there's David, who was the commander of that army. And, and everyone was excited until, until a little jingle got under Saul's skin. Saul has killed thousands, and David ten thousands. And with that statement... The moment of celebration turns into a moment of deep jealousy and resentment. Yes, Saul begins to compare himself to David. And when he does, he feels threatened, unworthy even. And those feelings lead him into a place of intense anger. Yes, we're told that this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said, They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Saul falls into a trap that so many of us have fallen into before, the comparison trap. Yes, Saul compares himself to David, and the results are jealousy and anger. As I read this this morning, I can't help but wonder, why do we do this? Why do we compare ourselves to each other? I mean, we're really not that different from Saul, are we? I think we need to consider what we could do differently so that we don't fall into the same trap as Saul. I think we can spend some time here to find practical ways to avoid the comparison in our lives. Now, what I've noticed is that comparison often comes in two forms. Uh, One form is that you start to compare yourself to people that you think or you perceive are doing better than you. And when you do that, much like Saul, what are the natural results? Jealousy, resentment, suspicion, or you might compare yourself to those that you think or perceive are doing worse than you. And then what are the feelings? Well, probably a little bit of pride, a little self-inflated ego. Neither one of these are places that we want to end up. Either way, comparison doesn't lead to good results. And think about the way that comparing ourselves to others leads us to believing things that are not true. Saul does this. Saul says they credit David with ten thousands, and me with only thousands. Okay, that's true, right? That's a true statement. That was actually happening. But then 
He says, next thing you know, they'll be making him their king. Well, that's a jump in logic, isn't it? A does not necessarily lead to B, and we do this all the time. Uh, we, out of our own insecurity, we imagine the worst-case scenario. We, we might say, oh, that person got a promotion before me. Okay, that might be a true statement. The next thing you know, they'll be running the company and I'll be out on the streets. Well, that's not true, right? That's a jump in logic. Or you might say something if you're in school, like, oh, that person got elected as school president and I didn't. All right, that would be a true statement. That means the whole school loves her and hates me. That's that jump in logic. A doesn't lead to B. It is so easy to take an objective truth and then make a leap in logic when we are comparing ourselves and our circumstances. So instead, I'm going to offer you three ways that you can hopefully avoid the comparison trap in your life. Here's the first. Celebrate the success of others as if it were your own. Now, the Bible tells us to do this. Think of Paul in Romans who says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, not stand in bitterness and envy, at those who are rejoicing some success in their life. No, it's, it is easy to approach this life as if it were a zero-sum game, where only one of us can win. Uh, if you're winning, that must mean I'm losing. It's tempting to have the mentality that your success means my failure. But God is leading us to a different type of truth. The truth that we're all in this together, that there is an unlimited amount of joy in this world that we can all share in together. So the next time your coworker has a success that you wish were your own, celebrate it as if it were. Is congratulate them as if it were your own victory. There is enough joy to go around. Two, refuse to compare your unique story with someone else's unique story. Yes, no two people are exactly alike. And no two stories are exactly alike. When you compare yourself to someone else, it is literally like comparing apples to oranges. It is not a fair comparison because every person's story is unique to them. So I encourage you instead to, to focus on what we all have in common, which is faith, that God is working in each one of us uniquely. Yes, this is our collective story. I mean, what would the world be like if instead of comparing ourselves to each other, we all focused on collectively what God is doing by working through us as individuals, in unique ways that then affect the rest of the world, that would be a beautiful thing. Or three, trust that God is doing good work in your life too. Yes, when we compare our lives to someone else's, the natural feeling is jealousy. But when we focus on the good that God is doing in us, the natural result 
is gratitude. I truly believe that God has great plans for everyone's lives, everyone who is here today or who is watching online. And we can miss them if we're too busy looking at his life or her life. Now, what if we could just simply trust that God really is at work in you, even if it looks different from how you might prefer, or even if the progress is a bit slower than you would really hope for? Jonathan understood this. That's why he's our example today. He understood this, and he willingly gave up the throne. But Saul did not. So here's where I want to leave you. I want to read the next verse of what happens next. It's a little bit of a cliffhanger. It's going to prepare us for what we read next week, but it's, it's also going to show you where comparison and jealousy can lead us, or in this case, where it's going to drive Saul. Here's what happens next. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp, and as he did each day, Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. So Saul is so consumed with jealousy that he attempts to kill David twice. And when that doesn't work, he sends David off, sends David away outside the kingdom. Yes, the story between David and Saul is not going to end well. And it reaches its thrilling conclusion next week when you come back and join us. But until then, until then, remember to glorify God with your unique story. It is no one else's. It is yours alone. Compare it to no one. Simply enjoy it for what it is. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.